Hello, I'm Christine Darg. Welcome to the program. God favors the return of the Jews to the Holy Land. In his Olivet Discourse, Jesus said in Luke chapter 21 and 24 that Israel would be dispersed to the ends of the earth and that the Jews would return to recapture Jerusalem at the end of the times of the Gentiles. And when the Jews resettle back in their own land, as we've seen with our own eyes, the last battle over Jerusalem will begin. And it's an ongoing battle. The prophet Zechariah prophesied that all the nations will fight against Jerusalem. And whoever tries to move or divide Jerusalem will be crushed. In time, prophetic watchmen must be committed to the battle over Jerusalem and to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's watchmen will accomplish, I believe, great exploits in prayer. Concerning the battle for Britain in World War II, which was won by brave fighter pilots, Sir Winston Churchill said, never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few. And I believe Churchill's statement could be equally applied to the work of Jerusalem's intercessory watchmen. Never in the field of human conflict will so much be owed by so many to so few. The God of Israel still recruits a choice remnant, a so-called Gideon's army, and we can turn in time battles. But are you willing to be part of the battle for Jerusalem in prayer? Well, there's a growing phenomenon in the church that is galvanizing the Judeo-Christian world. Like Ruth in the Old Testament, many former Gentile believers are emerging from the famine years in the history of the church, and we're ridding ourselves of the pagan customs that have crept into the church. We're rediscovering the family tree of Israel into which we, like Ruth, have been adopted and grafted. And like biblical Ruth, we're making bold declarations that will surely be tested in days to come. We're saying, Israel, your God is our God and your people will be our people. Furthermore, the days are coming and now are, according to Zechariah 8 and 23, when 10 men out of all of the nations of the world will take hold of the garment of a Jew and declare, we're going to go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Christians worship the God of Israel, not the God of Islam. In fact, there's no God but Abba, and Yeshua, Jesus, is his son. Meanwhile, the Jews are still anticipating the first coming of the Messiah, and we're watching for his second coming. And there's no other city like the Jews' capital, Jerusalem, whose history has been written in advance in the Bible. Truly, Jerusalem is the hinge upon which the destiny of the world hangs. And Jerusalem will be the balance in which the Almighty weighs the nations. The Bible says that all who come against Jerusalem will be destroyed. It's as if God has hung a gigantic sign on his holy city saying, don't touch, no trespassing. 
and I pity the politicians who disregard this. In this program, we'll uncover some facts that are not being currently focused upon in the news. First of all, Jerusalem is absolutely central to the history of the Jews more than any other people group on earth. Jerusalem has a unique place in the history of Israel, a place not shared by any other nation in the world. In the Hebrew Bible, in Psalm 137, it declares the heart of the Jew, if I forget you, Jerusalem, let my right hand wither, let my tongue cleave to the root of my mouth, if I do not remember you, and if I do not prefer Jerusalem above my chief joy. Well, the Muslims must prefer Mecca in their religion, but the Jews have prayed to reestablish their capital for 2,000 years. And it was in Jerusalem that God commanded David to purchase ground that was destined to be the most important real estate in the world, the site of their temple. The angel of the Lord commanded the prophet Gad to go to David and say to King David that David should erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And that property became the area of the Temple Mount. So David gave Ornan 600 shekels of gold for that prime real estate. He purchased it in the deed of purchases in the Bible. And David built an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings there. Later, David's son, King Solomon, built the first temple on this site. And God said in 1 Kings chapter 9 and verse 3, My eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. So Jerusalem, first of all, is absolutely central to Judaism. And secondly, in no other religion is pilgrimage to Jerusalem commanded except in the Jewish faith. Muslims are required to make a pilgrimage once in their lifetime to Mecca in modern-day Saudi Arabia. But the Jewish males are in fact commanded in the Torah in Deuteronomy 16.16 to make pilgrimage to Jerusalem three times a year at the festivals of Passover, Shavuot, we know that as Pentecost, and at the Feast of Tabernacles. Additionally, here are some other important Jerusalem facts. The name Jerusalem occurs more than 700 times in the sacred scriptures of the Jewish people. By contrast, in the Quran, the book sacred to Islam, Jerusalem is not even mentioned once. Historically, Jerusalem has been the only capital of the Jewish people, both political and spiritual. Jerusalem has never been the capital of any other nation. As a city, it became politically important to Islam after the Jews were victorious in the Six-Day War in June of 1967 when the Jewish people recaptured East Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. Previously, under the Jordanian occupation, Jerusalem never was given the status of a capital. Amman continued to be the capital of Jordan. 
when usurpers from other nations sought to share Jerusalem, Nehemiah, the Jewish governor, declared in the Bible, in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 20, you have no heritage, you have no right, you have no memorial in Jerusalem. Well, it's extremely important to realize prophetically that the restoration of Israel is a prelude to the second coming of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Psalm 102 declares, For when the Lord shall build up Zion, he shall appear in his glory. The salvation of the world is tied to the destiny of Israel, to Jerusalem and to the Jews. According to Jesus in the gospel in John chapter 4 and verse 22, salvation proceeds from the Jews. When the Jewish people are regathered in their historic national homeland and they continue and they undergo what the Bible refers to as the tribulation period, they through their sufferings and through pressure will summons Yeshua back in the last days. They will cry, Baruch HaBabe Shem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus foretold this great event on the way to the cross when he said prophetically to Jerusalem, you'll not see me henceforth until you say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And in the meantime, Satan will do his utmost to prevent the second coming by attempting yet again to obliterate the Jewish nation, to demonize them, and to sour world sentiment against the Jews to the point that national leaders will espouse, as did the former French Prime Minister Michel Rocard, that Israel is illegal and historic mistake. However, God continually watches that Temple Mount his eye is watching Jerusalem, and he is determined that Jerusalem shall become again the worship capital of the world when Messiah returns in great glory to reign from there for a thousand years. Many of the Old Testament prophecies speak of David coming to reign again. And it's interesting to me that rabbinic scholars explain that the name David is also a title in Bible prophecy synonymous with the coming reign of Messiah. Jerusalem is intended to become a praise in the earth, not a political hot potato. So this city that seems to be causing so much trouble right now, whose name actually means peace, will be a stone of offense, the prophet Zechariah says, to politicians. But it will become the capital of renown, known resplendently in Hebrew as Yehovah Shammah, meaning the Lord is there. Since the beginning of their worldwide dispersal, the history and future destiny of the Jewish people and of Jerusalem could very well be summarized in one little Bible verse, Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 28. It shall come to pass that just as I watched over the Jews and Jerusalem, he said, to pluck up, to break down, to throw down and to destroy and to afflict. So I, the Lord, will watch over them 
again, to build them and to plant them. So that's the good news, and we're watching that space. Within the holy city now, and simultaneously all over the world, God has set specific watchmen, according to Isaiah chapter 62 and verse 6, who carry the prayer burden of the Lord concerning these eternal purposes for Jerusalem. And these watchmen are crying night and day for the Lord's peace to descend upon Jerusalem. You who make mention of the Lord, in other words, anybody who claims to know the Lord and who even casually drops his name, don't keep silent, don't hide, become a part of this issue until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Realizing Jerusalem's special place of honor in the heart of the Father and in the heart of the Son, no believer or watchman may disregard the subject of Jerusalem or speak of Jerusalem and its destiny as if it's not of the utmost importance. Let's look at the scriptural preeminence and importance of Jerusalem. In the Torah, the Torah, there was a prophecy in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 12 and verse 11 that the Lord your God will choose a place to cause his name to dwell. And what did the Lord select? The Lord specifically chose Jerusalem, not Beijing, not Delhi, Babylon, Mecca, Brussels, London, Washington. He chose Jerusalem as a city where he placed his name. Over and over again in his word, God declared Jerusalem to be his chosen abode. Second Chronicles chapter 6 and verse 6, the Lord says, Yet I have chosen Jerusalem that my name may be there. And if you look at topography, you can actually see um, the letter Sheen, which often stands for the name of God in the valley near the Temple Mount. Jerusalem is the center of the earth and will be the center of the millennium kingdom of Yeshua. The heavenly pattern, after all, as we see in Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 3, out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. I'd like to point out also that Jerusalem is uniquely Yeshua's city. Jesus called Jerusalem the city of the great king. And because Jerusalem is the Lord's city, he forbade his followers even to swear by it in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 35. And so if Jerusalem is so sacred to Messiah, it should be sacred to us too. Jerusalem is, after all, an earthly shadow of eternal heavenly realities. And if you are a redeemed child of God, in your heart will be the highways to Zion. Your connection to Jerusalem will be inevitable and you will be a lover of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is, after all, the Bible says, the very throne of God. Jeremiah 3, 17 declares that Jerusalem shall be known as the Lord's throne. Now, due in a large measure to dis 
distorted reports in the news about Israel and the Jews, many Christians in the institutional churches and increasingly, of course, the United Nations have hardened their hearts toward Israel, just as the Bible prophesied. And when somebody continues to resist God's revealed and prophetic word concerning Jerusalem and concerning Israel, his heart becomes like Pharaoh's, hardened. And when a person receives revelation, on the other hand, from the Holy Spirit, his heart is softened. It's wonderful that many who were previously indifferent in the churches have been touched by the Holy Spirit and have received much revelation concerning Israel and Jerusalem, resulting in a genuine burden in prayer. And those of us who've been set in the Spirit by God upon the walls of Jerusalem, virtually or spiritually speaking, will know who we are. However, on the other hand, I believe all believers are commanded to fulfill the ministry of a watchman for Jerusalem. Why do I say this? It's because there is a Bible command in Psalm 122 to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And so that is imperative prayer. Believers are not commanded to pray for the peace of any other city in the same way that we are under divine orders by God in the Bible to pray for Jerusalem. So truly, I believe that every born-again believer should be a watchman upon Jerusalem's ancient walls. And our prayer meetings within the walls of Jerusalem, inside one of the city's ancient guard towers, I believe are momentous because we are eyewitnesses to the fulfillment of Bible prophecies in these last days. There should be a deep and abiding concern for the welfare of Jerusalem, for all of her citizens, whether they're Jews or Arabs, as we see the signs of our Savior soon return. Well, how should we pray specifically for Jerusalem? I believe, number one, we should pray for her peace, as commanded in Psalm 122. And when we pray for her peace, that means we are praying for the return of the Prince of Peace. And secondly, the watchman of the Lord's eternal purposes is under a mandate in Isaiah chapter 40 to speak tenderly to Jerusalem and to cry unto her, to say to her, your warfare is accomplished, your iniquity is pardoned. These are all gospel statements. For after all, she has received double from the Lord's hand for all of her sins. Thirdly, the Bible watchman must also thoroughly understand, comprehend, and decree that Israel's many anti-Semitic enemies will be confounded. We need to pray that in prayer. And another vital prayer point is Jerusalem's watchman must pray against the blight of replacement theology in the church today, and specifically in churches in the Middle East. Replacement theology says that God is a liar, that he's finished with the Jews, and he has transferred all of their covenants and promises over to a Gentile-dominated church. Replacement theology makes God a liar because it denies that he will keep covenant with the Jewish people. And he will do that. All of his promises to Israel and concerning her Messiah will come to pass. 
Now, we watchmen must never keep silent until the following biblical points are accepted throughout the church and especially amongst our Arab brethren in the church. Number one, God has never reversed his selection of the Jews as his chosen nation to be the repository of his word, of his covenants and his promises. Secondly, although the Jewish people were judicially dispersed after the time of the Lord's first advent when they rejected Messiah, God will, as he has promised, continue to reinstate the Jewish people and bring them back to their own land before the second advent of Messiah. All of Israel's enemies will be confounded and destroyed at that time as God is faithful to his covenants with Israel and as he forgives Israel. Thirdly, the judicial spiritual blindness that has been upon Israel for the past 2,000 years will be removed. Paul said in Romans 11 that blindness, a partial blindness, has befallen Israel forever, no, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come into the kingdom of God. And so then after that, all of Israel shall be saved because after all, they are beloved for the patriarch's sake. And this is because the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable without repentance. If their fall has meant riches to the world and the diminishing of them temporarily brought riches to the Gentiles, how much more will their inclusion be? Paul says in Romans 11, it will be life from the dead. Well, Jerusalem's watchmen must thoroughly understand that this is also the time for the harvest of souls within Islam. It's not enough just to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and the salvation of the Jews. If we pray only for Israel, we're praying for only part of the picture in the Middle East. God has determined that Israel in the millennium will be a third in a messianic league, as the Amplified Bible describes in Isaiah chapter 19 and verse 25, along with Egypt and Assyria, nations such as Iraq, whom the Lord will bless altogether, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, mine inheritance. And for a more um, in-depth look at that whole topic, I suggest that you get my book, Let Ishmael Live. And that book gives the bigger picture in the Middle East. But in the midst of the carnage, the suicide bombings, and the chaos, we must proclaim in the Middle East God's pending revival. The well of salvation will soon be rediscovered as we stand in the gap as watchmen maintaining the cause of the Lord Jesus. Isaiah envisioned the soon coming revival in Israel in chapter 12 in verse 3. With joy you will draw water from the wells of Yeshua. The wells of salvation, that chapter says. And literally it says the well of Yeshua. And the prophet Zechariah also foretold that a fountain will be opened in chapter 13 in verse 1. A fountain will be opened to the house of David 
that's the Jewish people and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, that's the Arabs, to cleanse them from sin and impurity. All the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Jews and Arab alike, will have that fountain open again. We must understand the power of prophecy and its creative force. God commanded Ezekiel to prophesy to the dry bones of the house of Israel. And because he obeyed, he had the revelation that when God commands a thing, it's accomplished by the spoken word. And we must also prophesy to that fountain in Zechariah chapter 13 to reopen that fountain that was opened in Emmanuel's veins, that fountain of salvation by the blood of Yeshua. The time of judgment is passing and Israel has paid for her sins. The judicial partial blindness has uh, been lifted. And Psalm 102 predicts the set time now to favor Israel has come. The prophet Isaiah predicted the rebirth of the state of Israel as a unique phenomenon. Isaiah said, before she was in labor, she will give birth. Before her pains come, she will be delivered of a child. Who's heard of such a thing? Shall the earth be made to give birth to a nation in one day? But as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. That's in Isaiah chapter 66, verses 7 to 8. That prophecy came to pass with the rebirth of the state of Israel. It was a unique event without historical parallel. On one day in May 1948, Israel emerged as a complete nation with an army, with a navy, with an air force, even if they had just one airplane, but they had a parliament and they had a language. Hebrew was revived. There's no other nation in history that has had a rebirth like that. So in conclusion, I believe that God makes Jerusalem the litmus test by which he will deal with the nations. The nations who align themselves with God's purposes for Jerusalem will receive his blessing. But those nations who meddle with God's purposes concerning Jerusalem will be severely judged. Let's pray for our leaders to get it right. Our Watchmen and Women on the Walls conferences in Jerusalem will help you to have an opportunity to be the literal watchman upon the walls at least once a year. And you can participate with us in these conferences. To find more details, go to our website at exploits.tv. And if you would like to obtain a copy of our magazine, Exploits, please write to me. My email address is christine at jerusalem.com. And in our magazine, you can learn more about end-time prophecy and topics such as divine healing. It's very important. So until next time, I'm Christine Darg saying, Do exploits for God. Shalom.